Isn't that exciting? So good, man. We're, you know, we're, we're a year old, and um, we were able to, to pull that off because of your faithfulness and your generosity. So thank you for um, just how well you've given um, 17 families, over 40 kids, both outside and within this church, are able to experience the love of Jesus this Christmas, all because of your faithfulness. Give yourselves a hand clap. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, you know, and a lot of people say, well, you know, Christmas is about Jesus and uh, God gives. You're right, but if you read all throughout the scripture, God used people to change the world. So God is using you to reach this city. And so that is something to be extremely excited about. Hey, so we are today we're going to uh, give our offering, our gift of generosity offering. Um, we're excited about it. I'm glad you came to church. We're pretty full in here today. I was like, Lord, I hope they show up. But um, you guys did. That is phenomenal. And so the gift of generosity, um, well, it, it stems from the, the series, The Genius of Generosity. But today, our message in, is entitled The Gift of Generosity. Um, like I said, we are about 13, 14 months old. And uh, maybe for the rest of our history, at least you know, until I pass away, we're going to be taking up an offering um, around this time of the year every single year. Um, Jesus is the reason for the season. So we want to make sure we put him first in our hearts and in our finances. Uh, Deuteronomy 14.23 actually says um, the tithe, which is 10% of your income, the tithe teaches us to put God first in our lives. Um, because, you know, Jesus understood when he came on the scene the grip that money has on our hearts. So God, in his love, instituted a principle to help us put him first. And he says, bring me the tithe. So every year, we're going to be bringing an offering around this time of the year. Probably be a different series name, but just know around November, whatever the series name is, we're preparing to bring our offering. Um, and we want to do that because we want to be distinct in our giving. The, the word genius can be defined as um, an intellectual that is exceptional in any field. But you can also de just define the word genius as someone who is distinct. I mean, they're, they're a genius, and they're intellectually exceptional, which makes them distinct. They stick out because they're so great at this particular thing. And so as a church, we want to be distinct. And the word generous means to give more than what is needed or necessary. We want to be distinct as a church in our giving above and beyond. And so we have a value here at Highlight, and it's called high giving. And it states that we will give an access uh, of what has been given to us, understanding that everything that we own comes from God. And so um, we are excited about it. We want to stick out. <clears throat> Just uh, within the past three to four days, um, we spent over $2,000 for these 17 families um, so that they can experience a Christmas next year. I envision us doubling that, tripling that. We're going to give far more above that. Uh, this year alone, we've given $13,000 to outreach. And um, I see us twenty-five, thirty thousand 30000 next year and above. As God blesses us, we want to continue to bless people. So 
We want to continue to bless people. So um, let's give it up for our first-time guest, everybody. We certainly want to honor them. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, uh, if you've been around church for any length of time, you've probably heard of the three wise men or the three magi. Um, these guys were astronomers, um, scientists, what have you. Uh, Jewish, Jewish legend holds that Daniel, who was a Jewish man who served under um, the kings of, of, of Babylon, Babylon and Persia, um, like way before Jesus, 700 years or so before Jesus got on the scene, the children of Israel were exiled because they, their hearts were turned towards idol gods. And God said, I'm going to exile you to Babylon, which is today modern day Iraq. And so, but as you know, when you serve God and when you hold on to him, no matter where you are at, God can raise you up. And so Daniel was raised to a place of prominence right under the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. And Jewish legend holds that Daniel founded this order of Magi. So these guys are actually not Jewish, but he was so high in rank in Babylon that he founded this order. His intellect and his spirit and his excellence far exceeded the Babylonian astronomers and scientists. So Nebuchadnezzar said, dude, I'm going to put you over everything. And so um, he founded this order of Magi, and he instructed them through the ages to watch for the king of the Jews, to watch for the king of the Jews, which, which is Messiah. The word Messiah means anointed one or set aside one. This, this was a king that the Jewish people believed was going to reign as somewhat of a, a military general, that he would take the Jewish people from under uh, oppression. And so right now in Jesus' time, they're under Roman oppression. And so the Magi, some 17 years fast forward, they're here and they see a star. And we don't know if it's a conjunction of planets or a comet, but they see a star and it leads them from Persia to Jerusalem, more specifically to Bethlehem. And they say, oh my goodness, we think the God of the Jews is speaking to us. So it's three magi, they follow it, and they say, wow, is this the fulfillment of the prophecy of the king of the Jews? It, has he arrived? So they gather all their things, they get on their camels and their horses, and, and they shoot towards Jerusalem. And uh, they run into King Herod. Now, I know some of us, you know, it's entering Christmas season, and, uh, you know, if we can be honest, how many people, you got a few family members, you, if you can be honest, this is church, come on now, that you really don't want to see this Christmas. <laughs> don't be holy. Just take off your holy mask. You know, thank you. Praise God for all, all five of you in here. Um, the rest of you are liars. Um, so, um, yeah, you got that auntie or that uncle, that sibling or that cousin that you really don't want to see this Christmas. But I do want to inform you that for Christmas, you did not want to see King Herod. King Herod was not a Jewish man. He was placed in power by the Roman government. He was a Moabite. He was not of Jewish descent. And his life was ran by paranoia. He was always afraid that someone was going to take his kingdom. He was the king of the Jews, though not being a Jew. I mean, this man was so crazy. He... Uh, he had political and religious leaders murdered um, for the threat of his throne. He had his own wife assassinated. 
he had his mother-in-law assassinated. I'm not going to ask any of you in here about your mother-in-laws. I just so happen to have a real good relationship with mine. Um, so, yeah. And he also had his three sons assassinated. Because even after he died, he didn't want any of them to become king. Now, he was, revered, he was revered in Israel because he, he rebuilt Solomon's temple. And the Jewish people held a special part in their hearts for Solomon's temple. And so the Magi come, and they meet with King Herod and the leading priest. And um, the leading priest says, yeah, he's to be born in Bethlehem. He's actually in Bethlehem right now. They know this, but they haven't cared to visit the king of the world. None of them have ever seen Jesus. Jesus at this point is about a year old. So all the nativity scenes you see in Target and, and all that stuff, it's all a lie. The three kings or the three magi were not there. It took them about nine months to a year to actually come and see Jesus. And it wasn't all pretty. We make it to be all pretty. Like, like Mary just, you know, left and, and she got on her camel and Joseph was just walking and she had no problems. Look, I've written in the car, AC, tinted windows, any music you want with the pregnant lady before. And I'm going to just tell you, it does not go that way. It was hell and high water giving birth to Jesus. And that baby came out crying. And so this is about a year later. And they tell the Magi, yeah, the, the prophecy, Micah 5, 2, we don't have it, says that Bethlehem, even though you are the smallest of Israel, Judah, you are the smallest of Israel, there shall be a king from the ancient of days that will come through you. And so Herod says, okay, you Magi dudes, whoever you are, I actually want to kill you because I hate your guts too. But whenever you find the king, come back and tell me where he is. I'd like to come and worship him too. But he didn't care about Jesus. If there is a king of the Jews, baby or not, he wanted to kill Jesus. He wanted to kill the plan of God for you and I salvation. And I hope we don't take that lightly because this isn't the only life that we get to live. Like when you're at when you're done at 80, your last day here is your first day in heaven or hell. So Jesus is kind of a big deal. He wanted to kill the plan of God. And so the Magi headed on and we're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter two, verse nine. It says this here. After this interview, the wise men went there and the star they had seen in the east, the east is Persia, guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. This is, this is Jesus. This is baby Jesus. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Non-believers, non-Jewish people, sinners, understanding that this star is leading us to the savior of the world. And sometimes church people are slower <laughs> than non-church folks at understanding just how amazing God is. And so the first point I want to bring today is it was joy at first sight. Joy at first sight. 
They saw the star, and it led them to Bethlehem, and they knew this where the Savior of the world was. It was joy at first sight. You know, like when, you, uh, when you've went through the process, you've, you've uh, applied a few times, and you got that interview, and you wait a few weeks, and you get the email, and that job offer comes through. It's, it's joy at first sight. Or, or, when you, um, or when you get accepted to that school that you always wanted to, to be accepted to, it was joy at first sight. I remember when I first had the chance, because Kyra and I, um, before we actually met, we, we passed each other three or four times in Barnes and Nobles, West Colonial Drive, Orlando, Florida. Y'all don't know nothing about that. Right now it's about 70 degrees down there in Florida. I'm really hating being up here right now, but I love you all, so we're here. Y'all don't know nothing about, no, it's actually East Colonial Drive, Orlando, Florida. Anyway, so we passed each other like four times in Barnes and Nobles, a few days, about three or four weeks, and then there was finally one day. I'm just telling you, this was God sent. This was God sent. It was full in there, and it was two stories. It was full. People were all over the place, and I had a table, and right across from me, there was one seat left. And this pretty young thing comes up, and she shows up, and I don't know. She asked me, hey, I'm so sorry. Can I sit down across from you? There are no seats in this place. And I'm like, obviously, there are not. And I don't know what happened with my mouth. It just it became possessed by something. And I, I, I said something stupid like, sure, you can have all the room in the world or something like that. I'm like, did I, did I just say that? I mean, you're, talking, you're looking at the guy who's afraid to be rejected. Did I just say that? And six years later, a couple kids, and it was joy at, at first sight. The thing about this is that it's deeper than just finding a king. So you can translate the word king in the Greek as leader. The thing about Herod was that he didn't have a problem with being his own king, making his own decisions, and not, not consulting the spirit of God, and consulting the, the philosophers of his time. He was over here and over here and over here, and he was also stuck within his own self. And so actually, he would die about three years after Jesus was born pretty severe death at that. He was very myopic, very selfish. I love it that the three magi are actually nicknamed wise men because they were wise enough to go and find and follow their king. And not only were they excited that they found their savior, their king, but they were stoked because they found the source. He, he's more than a king. He's more than your savior. He is your source. Colossians 1, 15 through 18a says this. It says that Christ, the word Christ is Messiah. Christ, watch this, is the visible image of the invisible God. Stop. Christ is the, invisible, is the visible image of the invisible God. So the reason that it was joy at first sight, yes, they found their savior. Yes, they found their king, but they actually found the source of their lives. They found the source of every blessing. They found the source 
of their strength. They found God in a room in the flesh. They found God in the room in the flesh. They found the beginning of who they were. They found the source, the visible image of the invisible God. And it says this here, I love this, he existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Now, there is a world that we don't even see, a greater world, a celestial world that God the Father created through Jesus Christ. God does nothing but only through Jesus Christ. So let's keep building this out. And it says this here, everything was created through him and for him. And I think the reason why Herod was so jacked up and broken, and much like us, much like myself, when I get into seasons where you know, things aren't, aren't, aren't lining up well, and I'm, I'm responding a certain way to my parents or to my wife or to my kids, or I'm not pastoring and leading the way I should be. I mean, I'm broken, too. I think it's simply because there are times, there are days, there are hours, there are weeks, there are months where I forget that I was made through him and I was made for him. I was made for Jesus. You were made for Jesus. And when I align myself with the heart of Christ, with the word of Christ, when I seek his face, when I seek to give and to love the way that he did, it is then when things begin to fall in line and I find fulfillment. And so I was made through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is the body. They found the beginning of their freedom. They found the beginning of their future, of their destiny. They found the beginning of blessing when they found Jesus. So I love Paul because Paul gets to a point in his life, that was Paul who actually wrote the Colossian church. He said, all these things, these material things I've ever gained have become dung to me so that I can experience and know him. And so the Magi, they're putting their heads on the line because they understand that they found the source. I wish we had a church that understood that Jesus is the source of every blessing. God doesn't bless you unless it's through Jesus. And whether you're a believer or not, what God does in your life is only through Jesus. Let me put it to you this way. We're breathing right now. And whether you believe it or not, air and oxygen exist, right? You're breathing. Whether you believe Jesus is Savior or the source or the King or the Lord or not, he is your King. He is your Lord. Paul says it like this in Philippians, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior on the day of judgment. But the Magi were wise, man, and they understood, I'm going to start this Christmas season with Jesus in the right place in my life. Dead smack up front and dead smack in the middle. Matthew 2, 9 through 10 says this, 
Uh, no, Matthew 2, 11. Here it is. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I love this. They understood that he was the source, so they came and they gave with a full hand. I'm excited about this offering in a few minutes. This, this message won't be too much longer. But they came and they gave with a full hand. They, they prepared months in advance, um, stored up treasures, saying, hey, if, if we're the generation that's going to meet the Christ, we're not going to come empty-handed. So the gold, let's break down these three gifts. You want to know about the gifts? Cool. The gold was a representation of divinity and kingship. You would only give gifts of gold to a king. And so um, they understood that he was divine. We just discussed that. He was not just the son of God, but God in the flesh. And they also understood that he was, in fact, the king, not of just the Jews, but of the entire world. And a brick of gold, if they would have brought him that much, today is worth $325,000. For some of you, you can purchase a home. We can purchase a home with that in certain areas uh, around this, this city. And so we don't know how much gold they gave. The next thing they gave, it says they gave frankincense. You would have given frankincense to a priest. A priest is a representative of God to the people. And a priest is also a representative of the people to God. So a priest stands in the middle. Now in the Garden of Eve, we, in the Garden of Eden, we see Adam and Eve lose fellowship with God from their original sin. And so God said, if you eat of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, you will surely die. What does Satan say? Satan comes in and he says, you won't surely die. They misdefined the word. Death in, in Genesis is not defined as not existing anymore. Death in the Hebrew, God was saying, if you bite of this fruit, you will be separated from me. So it's sin that has us separated from all of God's fullness in our life. What happens? Jesus is born, and Hebrew says that he becomes our high priest. And so now, because Jesus died on the, sin for, on the cross for your sins, he lived a perfect life, a life that you could not live. All it takes is faith in Christ, and you have peace with God. It doesn't take confirmation. You don't have to go to a priest. You don't have to go to a pastor. Jesus is the mediator between you and your relationship with the Father. And you can come to his throne boldly in your time of need expecting that he's going to give you the grace, the favor, and the blessing that you need. That's what Jesus has done for us. He's given us access to the Father. So they brought him frankincense, and then they brought him myrrh. Myrrh was for death because he was born to die. Jesus was born to die because even though Adam and Eve and we within our sin without Christ are separated from God once we die just discuss this if you die without Christ you go to a holding cell which is called hell hell you can you can say it as Greek is Hades 
Now, that's not the end place, just, just a holding cell. So we see in a lot of commercialized images, we see hell as fire and all this stuff. No, no, no. That's just a holding cell. When Jesus comes back, all souls are going to be raised up. We're actually going to talk about this in a few minutes. And every soul that's ever lived will be judged, including hell. And the Bible says in Revelations that hell and death and every believer will be thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. And Revelations tells us that this place, the lake of fire and brimstone, was only created for Satan and his angels. So Jesus came to die so that you don't have to be separated from God for all eternity, but yet have eternal life in him. And so they gave him myrrh. They gave him myrrh. And Kyra and I, we have come with a full hand this morning. What? You're telling me that this baby is, in fact, the king. And that I'm actually a soul with a body. And, and I've never seen a hearse attached to a U-Haul. So, like, when I die, I can't carry anything with me. And this baby was born so that I would not have to die but spend eternity with God. So, Kyra and I, my wife and I, we've come with a full hand this morning. We, I mean, we, we went through our, for the past month, we went through our checking, our savings, et cetera, et cetera. And we prayed, Jesus, what can we bring you this morning during this offering? And we prayed and we prayed because he deserves a full hand. And so for us, our giving capacity may have been here. I want, I want to teach what this full hand offering could look like for you today as you prepare your hearts to give. Our capacity to give could be here. We may have started here. So what we did was we bumped it up. And we bumped it up until we tapped that maximum ability financially to give this morning. And the key here is, is that I may be at my max, but is my joy going to be complete when I give this offering? Because the Bible says that you don't want to give above your capacity and give to God begrudgingly. Paul says that God, 2 Corinthians 9, loves a cheerful giver. So, we, you know, God is not forcing you to give this morning. But he is saying your full hand represents the fact that you trust me and you take joy in giving to me and pushing the kingdom forward. So a full hand is a representation of full faith and full joy. Don't give your offering this morning begrudgingly. Man, this pastor pulled it out of me. I got, I got to give it. No, 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 no. The Magi came, and they were prepared, and they prayed, and they understood that I'm giving this out of joy for what Jesus has already done in my life and for what he's going to do in and through my life. We're giving with a full hand this morning. You know, I'll be honest, I prayed. 
I pray, maybe you're a first-time guest, I pray that the Spirit of God is moving through your heart too. I've been praying all month that someone would come in here and give $20,000 today. Yeah, I've been, I've been praying. Because it, you wouldn't even lose sleep over it. I've been praying for 10, 5, 15, 1,000. I've been praying for a dollar. You wouldn't lose sleep over it. And it's not abnormal. We, we just had someone put in the offering $5,000 about a month ago. It's not abnormal. We just had two people put $1,200 two weeks ago. We had another person put 1000 And it's all because of what Jesus has done in their lives. It's the season of generosity. And, and so what, what, what the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh show me is that it shows me that the three wise men value Jesus. And you're offering today what you have to ask yourself. Does this show really, truly how much I value Jesus? Full hand, full hand offering. And so Matthew 2, we're going to keep going here, says 12. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt. With the child and his mother, and, and the angel said, stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And so the third point I want to bring out is that they're offering advance the kingdom. We are giving today to advance the kingdom of God. So follow me. The gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, uh, we know historically that Jesus stayed in Egypt for two and a half to three years until Herod died. And so Joseph had no connections in Egypt. He had no work in Egypt. You know what sustained them for two and a half, three years? The gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. For two and a half, think of your expenses. What do you need to live for the next two and a half to three years and you don't get another shift of work? That's how much they gave. And, and what their giving did, it did three things. Number one, it provided for their needs. It protected them while they were in Egypt, and it projected them. So it got them to Egypt, it got them through Egypt, and it got them back to Jerusalem where Jesus was supposed to be in the first place in order to start his ministry. Kyra and I have to ask ourselves this morning, are we giving this offering to maintain what our church is doing or to multiply the impact? Are we advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ in this city, in this area? Not D.C., not Baltimore, but are we addressing the needs here in Gaithersburg, in MoCo? Their gift was so extravagant that it addressed the need. It protected the plan of God and it projected the mission of Jesus Christ in the world. And, and it was the gift when he, was a, when he was an infant that got him to the cross. 
See, you got to understand something about your offering. It's always a long-term impact. You're not just giving money when you give your tithe and your offering. You're building and you're advancing the kingdom of God in a city, in a state, in a region, in, in neighborhoods. You're advancing the kingdom. Let me, let me put it to you like this. The reason you're even sitting in your seats today is because someone paid for it. The reason why over 70 people have been saved through Highlight Church is because someone took their resource and opened these doors for you. The reason over 20 to 30 baptisms over the past year is because of someone's faithfulness in their giving. The reason why we were able to give over $13,000 to outreach is because of your faithfulness in your giving. And so what we have to ask ourselves today during this gift of generosity offering is do we want to maintain our impact for the kingdom of God or do we want to multiply it? I like it. I like it. I like it that we're young and we're talking about this stuff. Because I told you, my mom's generation, they tip God. Most. I don't know all y'all. But they, you know, that plate came around and here go my mom getting in a purse. $2. All right, put $2 in the plate. No, no. No, 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 no. Not the millennials. We're, we're not tipping God anymore. We're giving God what belongs to him, and we're advancing the kingdom of God. Every time you give an offering, it provides a place for a person who's broken and battered. It provides a place for someone who's sick to find healing provides a place of hope. And I love it because two people can be in the same atmosphere and respond differently because of the condition of their heart and their faith. Some of you are like, let's just get this message over with. I'm going to give my $3 anyway. Others of you are like, you know what? Give me the checkbook. I trust God. Jesus said in Acts 20, verse 35, Paul said that Jesus said this. You actually, I'm sorry to say this, but you actually never see this in any of the Gospels. But Paul says in Acts 20, verse 35, that Jesus said that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so in the final judgment, um, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to judge all souls. He's talking to his disciples and to many people listening. In Matthew 25, we're not going to do Luke 4. Matthew uh, 25, verse 31 through 40, he says, But when the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. So Jesus, one of his nicknames is the good shepherd. The right hand of God represents the hand of blessing, the hand of prosperity, and the hand of power. The left hand of God, anytime you see it in the Bible, represents condemnation and judgment. So believers, non-believers, 
those that believed in him and actually did and lived as he lived upon the earth. So that's what that means in the coming judgment, and it's coming. It says it here, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for, for you from the creation of the world. He's the source. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick and in prison and visit you? I love these because these are people who got lost in generosity. They, they just gave until they couldn't give anymore, and, and lives are being changed, and, and they took a couple hundred, a couple thousand people to heaven with them. They just got lost in it. They, they couldn't come to church and just sit on the blessing of God. And Jesus is like, well, let me, let me remind you, because I know you got lost in it. You were being like me. And he says this. He says, and the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine's, you were doing it to me. You were doing it to me. So when you're giving provided a Christmas this year, and I, I talked to some of the parents, tears. They're trying to get it right. They're trying so hard. They're, and they can't get it right. And then the church of Jesus Christ comes in and says, well, here is a Christmas for you. God loves you. And Jesus says, when you do it unto them, you do it unto me. And those are the people that I want to bless. And so, church, we're a year old. We're entering into a brand new year. We got work to do in this city. We got work to do in this city. And so it's time to give. If you got this envelope. It was placed on your seats. And like I said before, not everyone has to participate. I actually don't expect you to. And then um, within that envelope, there's a card. This is my son, so I'm trying not to show you all the amount. There's a card there in that envelope. Go ahead and fill out that information. Uh, you got phone number. Sorry if that's kind of small there. You got phone number, email, name. Address, city, state, and zip. Yeah, my, my son did it, so. <laughs> because, you know, generosity is generational. We were having a tithing talk with our son before dinner the other day, and, and we, we asked him yesterday, how much do you want to give during this offering? And he has, like, $56. And he said, I'm going to give 30 <laughs> And so Kyra like, uh, I don't think about that. But it's interesting because Jesus said, said that the kingdom of heaven is as these, the kids, because they have a full faith. They, they don't know. And that's how God wants it to be. You don't need to know. You just need to trust. So that first box there is the gift of generosity offering. You check that box off. If you're going to give your offering today, you put your amount. We got some people preparing, praise God.
put your amount. This is above and beyond your normal giving. That second box there is I am committing to tithe in 2018, starting today. We talked about the tithe during the first week of this series. The tithe means tenth. The Bible teaches through and through from Cain and Abel all the way to the end of it that the first 10% is God's. Anytime you get paid, that 10% is God's. So you're committing to tithing as we head into 2018. You want to get your financial house in order, you're getting your spiritual house in order first. And then this third box here, because I don't believe you should ever sow a seed without attaching a prayer of faith to it. It's I am believing for. And my son put growth in my relationship with Jesus. It's the greatest way you can grow is giving. For Kyra and I, we put breaking generational cycles. We put growth and pour. We're going to pour out more ministry this year, more families, more people. We want to be more like Christ. We want to we give more. Now, we're giving our biggest offering today. We, we want that offering to tri- We want to give more, more, more. Actually, I have a friend whose church does this, and in 2015, his word was miracle because for years they had been trying to conceive a child, doctors and medicine and all this. And in the fall of 2015, they finally conceived after eight or nine years of trying. And that next year in 2016, their name was, their, their word was gratitude for what God had done the year before. I'm not saying that God is a genie. I'm not saying that he's a vending machine. But what I am saying is, is that when you give by faith, God honors it. Actions with your faith. Uh, is my wife here? Come on out, babe. Come on out. It's okay. I, I think. My son, is he here? Is Jay here? Come on, come on up, Jay. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, we are giving today, and this is Jaziel, our son. This is going to be a tradition in our church, y'all. It's generational. Thank you, Chris. Let's clap it up. I mean, come on, come on. We got we to gotta break the cycle. We got to break it. We got to break it. Jay, put that in there for you. Yep, that's your card. Um, Kyra and I, we're actually not going to do the gift of generosity envelope. We have an envelope here. <laughs> this is of a guy who gave his life to Jesus in Easter of 2016. And um, his envelopes have come a long way. <laughs> but he actually, to, to date, gave his big his biggest offering in this envelope a few months ago to date and so um this is what we're tithing because it reminds Kyra and I of why we do what we do a completely changed life so um Jay why are you giving today um well I'm giving today because I know that Jesus has blessed me the church my family 
and that there wouldn't be, we wouldn't have money if it weren't for him, and that we wouldn't be at the state if that was the state we are at right now if it weren't for if he if he wasn't born. Praise God! Thank you. So, hey, this is how this is gonna go. I'm gonna pray, and we're gonna worship. And um, on your own timing, you come up. We got two baskets right here. So the ushers aren't going to lead you row for row. You come up, drop your offering, and we got more work to do in 2018. And so let's pray, and I pray that God blesses you and that he responds swiftly according to his perfect will. So let's pray. When we're done, you come up on your own time. And uh, also remember your word. So text somebody that may go to this church that can pray for you, hold you accountable in the next year so that by this time next year, you can say God moved. And we're going to be praying as well. So let's pray. Father, we love you. We give you all the praise. Thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to give. God, we pray that you would give us peace and joy on the inside. That you would give us the confidence and the trust in you that we need to sow this seed. God, I pray that the prayers that are entering heaven right now that are attached to the seed would be answered in the name of Jesus. That you would release miracles. That you would release your power. That family members would be saved. That sickness and illness will be healed. That relationships will be mended. And that you would manifest yourself in a tangible way in 2018. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.